right, welcome everybody to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and we have a great show for you today, as I'm bringing in my friend, Scott Blossom, or Dr. Blossom, as he's called, to talk about nutrition and cultivating the sustainable energy we need as massage therapists to get us through the day. You know, our job is physically demanding, it's taxing, and anything we can do to take the strain and stress off our system, it'll improve our performance, not only in the short term, but in the long term. And then, you know, normally I bring in a massage educator or a practitioner or someone on the inside of our industry. And this is a small step outside that circle as Scott's training is in Chinese medicine. And since our topic today is how we as massage therapists take care of ourselves, I sometimes find it very effective to reach outside our inner circle of knowledge to see how we can do what we do in a better way. You know, if we're constantly looking into our inner circle, we will certainly find value, but we'll also be missing out on the abundance of knowledge that's beyond our normal path, or for some of us, beyond our comfort zone. Now, as far as Scott's knowledge basis, I've told you he's trained in Chinese medicine, but he also has a deep understanding of both the Ayurvedic and yogic perspective. On a personal side, I think Scott has a brilliant mind. He has a soft spirit an articulate tongue, and a healthy serving of humor for good measure. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott. I know I did. And here you go. I give you my conversation with Scott Blossom. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I, yeah. I've wanted to bring you in today because there's a lot of work that massage therapists do to help their clients. Right. And Oftentimes, the self-care can be put to the side. And one of the pieces of self-care that we don't often think about is our nutrition right. and uh, building and sustaining our energy so that we can meet our clients uh, with the best of our ability. Yeah. So this conversation is going to be coming from the perspective of how can we take care of ourselves? Mm-hmm. And I think you're in a, a wonderful position to, to help us with that. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your... Um, experience and your training around Eastern medicine and nutrition. Sure. Um, my licensure is in traditional Chinese medicine. And so that's, it's basically a master's degree that you then go through a licensing process in California. And I also have had a long-term mentorship in Ayurveda with uh, sort of one of the, you know, best known scholar practitioners named Robert Soboda. And so in my clinical practice, I integrate those two. I've also practiced yoga for a long time, and, you know, I'm very kind of devoted to that. And um, so that also works its way into what I end up working with people on. Mm-hmm. And so what are the, the people, when they come see you, what are some of the things they're working on? It, you know, it ranges, especially here in the Bay Area, there's a lot of wellness-minded people who come in, and they're actually doing things proactively, preemptively to just get a read from an Ayurvedic perspective about their constitution or something like that. So with all of my patients, I do something that has to do with diet. I'll also do something that has to do with lifestyle, but lifestyle is going to involve everything from how you exercise to how you work to your sleep. You know, it's, it's the rest of everything. Mm. And that will include yoga and spiritual practices, even psychological therapies, you know, and I'm not doing psychology, you know, I'm not a therapist in that way, but, you know, referring people to resources along the lines of psycho-spiritual kind of 
uh, you know, therapies too. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's generally, I do that with everybody and I'd say probably 40% of my patients are working on wellness and the other 60 have some kind of imbalance or condition that is, you know, needing to be adjusted or, you know, remedied. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the misconceptions, the most common misconceptions you encounter with your clients around nutrition or simplifying nutrition? I'd say the most common thing is the anxiety around nutrition, Hmm. you know, because in the last probably 50 years, ever since actually when cholesterol became the boogeyman, from studies that were done in the fifties. And when you looked back, you know, at the studies actually, they weren't even controlling for smoking and some other things now that we know are like really big influencers on cardiovascular health, health. Um, it really kicked off a very big movement in the direction of, of both producing processed foods that were ostensibly health foods and then also intellectualizing food so food is really connected to identity, to culture, to soothing. You know, it has... You are what you eat. You are what you eat. And it's, it's, it's big for people. It's really big. And, but then what started to happen was there started to be a slightly narrower definition in the context of health where then food was being discussed in terms of biochemistry and all of the invisible things. Like nobody's ever seen a protein. But we all say it, you know, nobody's seen a car, but we all say it. And so, and then simultaneously you had concepts about health being attached to these high concept biochemistry kind of things that were being, um, you know, sort of promulgated by white coats who were constantly changing their mind about the information. So it's, it's totally a moving target. Mm. And the outcome of it has been that a lot of people are actually have shifted towards thinking more about their food than actually assuming, oh, it's a gut reaction literally and figuratively. So I'll just see what makes me feel best, what makes me, you know, uh, what seems right. And in in any culture around the world, the cuisines of those cultures were really – you know, anybody who was in the kitchen seriously going for making the food for the family or the or the, the community to keep everybody healthy, it was always just trial and error. And they were using what was local and the spicing that was local. And they've evolved. Cuisine is like this incredible alchemy of like how you can, how you were able to use what was local to produce a healthy person who was actually enjoying themselves, you know, with the, the actual experience of eating. Mm. So it has a very art aspect to it. And then it also has a very pragmatic, like what makes a strong baby and what makes a strong kid and what makes somebody age better. And if they get into a certain kind of condition or imbalance, like how you can adjust things and Mm. so much intelligence and basic, like what, you know, the kitchen wisdom. Mm. And that has gotten a little bit divorced from, from the conversation I think nowadays. And it produces quite a bit of anxiety. Yeah. So, in your mind, and from like the Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic perspective, what is uh, what is like the biggest problem with the standard "quote unquote" healthy Western diet, like a low sodium, limited red meat, low carb, organic, when convenient? Yeah, right. Huh. Well, the um, I think that it's that we have become normalized around not eating enough fruits and vegetables. 
you know, if I was going to put it into really simple terms, there's, Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that every diet around the world, everything like from the very extreme paleo versions of things to the raw vegan version of things, they all agree that fruits and vegetables are legit. And that actually is scientifically proven too, that those, those two groups, if you can have those groups be 65 or more percent of what you consume, it will not only help you know promote health, but it mitigates some of the downsides of treats and vices and spices and other stuff that you do so that you don't have to be either a health food person or a kind of free for all, uh, you know, eat whatever person. You hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So assuming the massage therapist or assuming a massage therapist follows a reasonably health and healthy Western diet yeah. that is weighted more towards fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Uh, what are three simple ways that we can improve our diet to help sustain energy throughout a whole day of massage or a whole shift? Yeah. Um, what we know from sort of sports medicine research, you know, about endurance and stamina and, and things like that is that massage is a very, you know, often there's very, there's subtle techniques, but it still involves the body, you know, and you may be doing, you know, whatever style you're doing, you're, you're engaged physically, you're usually standing up, you're using your hands, sometimes other parts of your body. It's, it's very engaging physically. So I would think of it more as along the lines of a sports type of situation. So when you, if you are going to do an extended period of time, like in a day where you're going to be seeing clients, um, carbohydrates still are very, very important to keep yourself having even energy. And so it might be good to eat like the hearty breakfast where you're getting plenty of good protein and fat and you have a couple of hours to digest it. But when you're in the actual process of seeing clients and massaging, um, that's where some, you know, the homemade lemonade with the honey or the fruit, the well-timed dried fruit with, a, you know, some nuts or seeds, those are just excellent for for sustaining a more equal energy because fruit digests so fast and it actually keeps your blood sugar leveled out. Mm. So what would be an example of a, a something you wouldn't want to eat in between? Something that's low in carbohydrates or high in sugar? What, what would yeah. Be something like that? Um, I think you just nailed it partly is like, Anything that if you're eating a processed sugar, it just it will usually have a temporary good effect, and then there's always a kind of calibration where the blood sugar will go up so fast that the body sends out it really sends out the insulin and other things to bring the blood sugar back down. But there's always a little bit of an overshot, and then the, then you go into a low blood sugar state, and it'll just give you a it'll give you an uneven experience. It, when the blood sugar is fluctuating either high or low, it jangles us physi- physiologically as well as psychologically. Yeah, I can imagine that roller coaster uh, energetically would disrupt the ability to really create an even and contiguous experience with in right. the massage. You know, a lot of what we're experiencing comes through in our hands. Yes. So if, if our energy goes up and down and up and down, uh, that could create an even an uneven experience for our client as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, well, and, and then caffeine, of course. <laughs> and it is, and it's just to say again, like, you know, I did a bunch of research last summer on coffee and I was blown away at how much good evidence there is for coffee being good, Hmm. you know, but it's timing because if you have, if you're, if you're using it to sustain energy, the, it needs a bunch of other cofactors 
in your system to really be like that, that great situation where you're having the cup of coffee and it just feels like it enhances your everythingness. Uh-huh. <laughs> so how, so what would be an example? So let's say a massage therapist is going to go into like a, a five hour shift of massage where yeah. they're doing like four massages in five hours. Right. And when, how would they, when would they have that coffee and how would, what would they, um, eat along or drink alongside it to, and when would they do it to, to have the best effect? It would be ideal. It would be something to be like a, it would be like a digestive for the good, the good meal that happens, the big hearty meal that happens like an, at least an hour and a half, two hours before they start. Okay. Yeah. So right afterwards? Yeah. Of the, the hearty part meal? Of, yeah, exactly. It's part of a way to kind of okay. wash it through and promote digestion. Okay. Yeah. So what's the worst food that we could eat as a massage therapist? If you could name one food that's like the worst. It would be any kind of candy. Hmm. You know, and again, if it's a small, small amount, yeah, that's one thing. But if you're kind of like, if you keep titrating your system, because <laughs> like if you were trying to sustain with it, through it, it's it's a very short lived thing. So if you start that cycle, it'll put you on a roller coaster where you either need to keep doing it or you need to go through the trough of your blood sugar. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm gonna divulge a little something here. Yeah. I, my favorite food is ice cream. Uh-huh. How does that? <laughs> How does that float on the scale of good to bad? Ice cream is sort of like one of these things, like it has, it has all the promise. <laughs> That's how I would put it. Cause you have like, you know, and, and it's one of the reasons why people will go for ice cream under stress, for example, is that like, it's just concentrated nutrition and it's, it's limitation. It's Achilles is that it's so concentrated because you, it's the same thing with sugar. Sugar has like pure energy but it's so concentrated that it's often difficult for this, our systems to break it down in a way that is simpatico. And so that, so then you kind of add to that of getting like the cholesterol bomb and the, you know, the, the, the kind of heaviness of it. And then the coldness too, from the Chinese perspective, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, they're just freaky deaky about cold. They think anything that's refrigerated is damaging to your digestive fire. And so when you add the coldness factor Coldness does cause the stomach to contract, so that will limit blood flow into the stomach, which will impede excretion of digestive juices, the way that the whole thing goes down, which will also make a an already challenging to digest food more challenging to digest. Hmm. But if, if the problem with sugar is that you digest it and your right. energy goes quick, right. isn't it better that it digests slowly in some ways so that it, it carries itself out a little bit longer? Well, and, and that's kind of it is that it, it has both sides of that. So it's better than maybe straight sugar if you digest it. So like, for example, and I've done some of these tests, which is to me, some of those coconut um, ice creams, those are great, you know, because there's something about the coconut uh, fat that's easier to digest than the milk fat. Mm. And so as a kind of sweet spot between like, if you like that, um, there, and I, I experiment on my kids. Like, you know, you give the kid and you watch what happens to him because kids are just so immediate. And, and I've found that my kids, like, however it works, those coconut-based, um, you know, ice cream treats actually burn pretty clean because I noticed there's no fluctuation. They don't get, like, real hyper and then start falling apart, like, 30 mm. minutes later mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And so it's not so much that the dairy digests slowly, it's that it's kind of often it's indigestible for people. Right. So in and, and my opinion about that, and this goes down a little rabbit hole that is fairly deep, but it's basically that a lot of people are 
have trouble with homogenization. It's not lactose. Especially if you're having high-quality ice cream, you're mostly getting cream, so there's very little lactose. It's, but the homogenization of milk changes the proteins, and that can set off an immune response. So that's what gives people the, the sinus congestion that can come with it. It's also the thing that can make them kind of like a little dull or kind of get sleepy afterwards. There's a whole combination of things, but part of it seems to be that um, homogenized pasteurized dairy product can be difficult to digest. So unless you're having straight cream ice cream, like if you're having pure cream, like you made it at home, mm-hmm. that's probably the easiest to digest of any variation, but most of the ice creams have a little milk in them. Right. And that's, that's I think, what is the hardest part of it. So straight cream that's non-pasteurized. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and with cream, there's less of an issue with pasteurization because you're, you're dealing with almost pure fat. And so the fats are not affected by pasteurization the way that milk proteins are. Right. It's the milk proteins that seem to be the issue. Hmm. So from the Chinese medicine and the Ayurvedic perspective, how important is the type of food you eat versus where it comes from, like the source? Mm-hmm. You know, where people in our culture are very focused on animal cruelty, it being organic, it being local. Right. How many of those things play into uh, or are supported by uh, the Chinese and the Ayurvedic viewpoint? Yeah, it, it's very central, in fact, um, the the axiom in Ayurvedic medicine is that food is consciousness. So there's no separation from the qualities of the environment and the context that something comes from, from the way it influences you. And it's more on the subtle levels of sort of mind and spirit that you're going to be impacted by the negativities because our physiological systems are a little more um, non-discriminatory that way. It's like, you know, if you get... You know, you get the the cruelty plus meat or the cruelty free meat. You know, your your physiological tissues will break it down in a similar way. But there's subtle. There's definitely a belief that the subtle energies that it carries have an impact. Well, I know for me psychologically, there's an impact. Yeah. When I eat something that I know has been created with love and care and without cruelty, right? It it improves my experience of eating, which yeah. I assume imp- improves my experience of digestion and conversion to energy and how I feel just in general. Exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh. And, and the classic example would be the reverse. You get the guy at the Oakland A's game. He's having the best time in his life. He's got the Coca-Cola and the, and the hot dog, and he's just stoked. And then you get the like person who likes baseball, but it's like an, you know, an animal you know, sort of rights person and a vegan, and they're just there freaking out on like what's being, <laughs> you know, what's being offered up. And meanwhile, they're probably impacting their immune system and their well-being much more detrimentally than this fool who's out there just like completely oblivious to, you know, because he's enjoying himself and his system is happy. It has a big effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it isn't to say that you know if you do that as your mo through your life, you don't end up with all the typical problems that people that eat the standard American diet do because mm. you do, and it's awful. So you're an advocate. You're an advocate for happiness. I'm an advocate for happiness, especially around food. Like I remember one time with my Ayurvedic mentor, we got to this place and we were coming back from Esalen and we were in Castroville on this artichoke, like it had a giant artichoke. Ah, oh, it's funny. Let's, let's go there and get some food. They were closing. All they had left was like the bottom of the barrel of their fried artichokes. Like it was like this, there was the ones that hadn't been used and then Coca-Cola. They were like, that's what we got, dude. That's what we got. And, and everything was closed. It was like a Sunday, and we were just like, oh, we can't get anything. And we had a three-hour drive back to the Bay Area. So 
we were like, okay. And then we got in the car and it, it was fairly early in my relationship with him as a mentor. And it really was impressive to me because he, he, he kind of directly went into like talking kind of euphemistically about how, how brown the Coca-Cola was and how crunchy the breading looked on these little like fried artichokes. And then we talked about how those things must work together inside it. And we made this whole like hysterical joke about how good it was going to be for us. And I still remember like we were laughing so hard and having so good, such a good time that it didn't seem to have this like drag effect on us huh. and provided, you know, it wasn't, it was pretty tame. It was a little Coca-Cola and right. some artichokes, some right. fried artichokes. But right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Switching gears and focusing a little bit more on energy and sustaining energy uh, outside of nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know what prana is, can mm-hmm. you explain what prana is? Sure. Prana is a Sanskrit word that comes out of the Ayurvedic and yogic traditions, and it usually gets translated as life force. And what it really is, and so the term chi from the Chinese traditions is very similar. And essentially what they recognize, and this is absolutely true, is that the circulatory principle of the body, everything that's moving, the fluids, the blood, the lungs, the nervous impulses, the, the muscle impulses, everything that's moving, that's the heart of life. As soon as all that stuff stops moving, you're dead. And it's true biologically, too, that up until somewhere in the usually between the mid-30s and mid-40s, your circulatory efficiency is very good. And then it starts to degrade just because of time, life, trauma, whatever. And um, so yoga and qigong and these different longevity practices really were, they were really focused on keeping your circulation the circulatory efficiency of your system as good as possible. And so when you think of prana, it's very useful to think of circulation because it can sound very esoteric. There's other layers to it that are very subtle and even don't include that go outside of what, you know, Western science uh, agrees is even real at some level. But fundamentally it has to do with, with the way things move around the system. And, and when things circulate well, you feel light, you feel balanced, your mind feels agile and clear. It has all the, has all the effects of like feeling good, basically feeling good. So assuming diet, of course, is an important way of cultivating prana and feeling good and feeling full of life force. Right. What are some of the other ways in which we as massage therapists can help uh, generate and cultivate that life force in us? Yeah. So the basic definition of healthy life force would be its capacity to circulate all the way to the core of the core. That would be like your internal organs, your bone marrow, your endocrine system, and to circulate freely all the way out to the surface, which would include your skin and everything that's you know superficial, like in the musculoskeletal system, for example. So fundamentally, you would want to choose practices where you would cultivate your capacity to go into deep relaxation because deep relaxation has the effect of shunting everything very, very distinctly towards the core and then simultaneously do something where you're building cardiovascular health and you're doing stuff that really makes you sweat and and stimulates the circulation to go very dramatically toward the exterior, like in a, you know... Uh, I mean, that kind of way, that strong workout kind of way. And then the, like Hatha Yoga and Qigong both specialize in saying, okay, now learn to be dynamic, but stay relaxed. And now learn to be relaxed, but don't fall asleep. 
you know, mm-hmm. don't go dull or kind of collapse in the relaxation. And so those are the kind of nuances between that full expression of kind of as, you know, young of an activity as you could do, uh, which is hard exercise or, you know, sporting or something like that. And then something that's very, very in like napping or deep relaxation. Well, I think that massage therapists actually probably get quite a bit of that in between. Yeah. Because a lot of their work is both active and relaxed. Right. They have to be sensitive and receptive, but also mm-hmm. able to uh, distribute pressure and to be strong in their body. Right. So I guess it seems like if 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 massage therapists were to focus on how to expand and to grow their life forces, being able to both push themselves physically and activity-wise and go super quiet. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And in your experience in our in the US culture, what is more prevalent? What do people err on the side of? Do they say err on the side of activity or Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. They definitely err on the side of activity because what happens is even people that are living in, you know, living relatively sedentary lives, they're stressed. So there's a lot of there's a lot of activity underneath the surface, even though the body may not be getting exercised, the mind is very, very often chaotic, frenetic, stressed, anxious, etc. So there's an internal intensity and activity that is driving them. They're not sleeping well. They're, it's that whole thing of like to really profoundly relax, you have to, you have to let go of your cares. And, you know, as you age and grow up, you usually have more responsibilities and there's more things that you care about. So it's very easy to find it, to find it hard to unplug even for 20 minutes Mm. because the mind is continuing to And so activities like that would be meditation, Mm -hmm. taking naps. What are some Mm -hmm. other? Yeah. Um, There's sort of conscious relaxation, you know, uh, practices. And then there's stuff like uh, where you consciously schedule non-doing time. Like you're not going to do any formal practices, but you don't have anything planned so you can be spontaneous. And that gives you a kind of feeling of like there's no agenda, but you're, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people my age, millennials, uh, and I think people in our culture in general tend to take a lot of that relaxation time Mm -hmm. and spend it looking at our phone. Right. And even though we're not really doing anything, I feel like the mind is super engaged in that moment. Yes. And it doesn't feel like true relaxation. Yes. Do you have any perspective on what kind of relationship that is between us and devices? Yeah, there's a really interesting book that came out called The Shallows a few years ago by this guy, Nicholas Carr, and he basically explains, like, you know, the Internet has had an impact on the human nervous system and brain function and psychology that rivals the written word, creating, you know, clocks, maps, you know, some really huge stuff that literally changed the, the brains of human beings. And what he points out that's the unique challenge now is that when you have these devices, you are always connected and therefore you always have the potential to have to make a decision and you have to, you have to look at um, information coming in. And so whether you decide to look and then once you do look, how you start managing, how you process what you've now consumed in the form of new information has a profound impact on the way that we do what he coins and it's not his term, but he uses it. It's called like you create deep knowledge. And that would be like, you're a professional who's in a certain kind of 
art and skill. And as you deepen in your knowledge of that, what often happens is you start making interconnections that are very intuitive and don't have like a, you didn't see those connections at first and they don't have a linear relationship at all, but you start to understand how they're related to a much broader and deeper picture of what's going on with, you know, you're giving a massage, but you know, if you're, you've been doing massage long enough, there's a lot of things that you notice five years into your practice that you weren't necessarily as attuned to at the beginning. And so what we're doing now is we have to consciously, we have to be even more aware about um, setting clear boundary around when we engage technology and when we don't, because fundamentally each time you get pinged, it affects your dopamine in a way that can turn you into, it can affect dopamine the way that drug addicts get affected by the desire for the drug. And so it's, it's very compelling, like way beyond your willpower. But if you start to practice the habit of I'm on, I'm not on really clearly, distinctly, I think that's the muscle that people need to build nowadays in terms of relationship to technology. Yeah. I I have this, vision of the 80s when cocaine was all the rage and people would go to the bathroom yeah in in meals yeah. to to do a snort <laughs> that's my image of the 80s for right. whatever reason right. and i now know that people leave the dinner table to go to the bathroom to go check their phones right and it seems very similar <laughs> that's so funny i never thought of it that way but it's so but true. people do they'll they'll leave yeah. family functions or at dinners especially out in restaurants and they'll go to the bathroom and they'll check their phone yes to get a fix essentially yeah, yeah. and there's also something about that constant information coming at you that feels like there is inevitably decision fatigue yeah right? because you're constantly making a decision do i engage and yes. if i do engage what do i look at do i look at my facebook do i look at my instagram do i check the news all these different forces that we have to negotiate and navigate yes. um eventually just make us mentally tired even though we're trying to take a break yeah hmm. right and and when you pursue information now you have the chance to most people don't read they scan and then they actually are just looking for what they're looking for so they're not necessarily it's not, you know, it's with this whole Russian investigation right now. It's not follow it wherever it goes. It's actually, I'm looking for something and I'm going to look for the, the, the hyperlink to the next bit on that thing that seems the most interesting to me about this. And that's a different way of, of gleaning knowledge as well. Right. Well, you're just reinforcing your own worldview. You can, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So getting us back on track with yeah. the idea of prana and life force and, yeah. and trying to help sustain that, what is some of the, what's the most unusual way you've ever heard of someone cultivating uh, life force or sustained energy? You know, everybody's getting into the, the Iceman stuff now. So, you know, getting into getting, or the, you know, the, now the hydrogen, the f- hydrogen uh, gas chambers, like there's these little thing, cryotherapy is what it's called, and they blast you with like, Minus 258 degree hydrogen gas for three minutes. That sounds like it's the exact opposite of Chinese medicine. It's very interesting because, it, and, and they're getting incredible results. And you know how in like sort of sports medicine world, they've been doing the ice baths a lot. It's been yeah. more hip lately. Yeah. So this is what they've found is actually the hydrogen is easier on the skin than the ice bath. So then you can get the same profound anti-inflammatory effect without having the the skin layer have to go through the abrasion of ice cold water for extended periods, like 20 minutes or something. All right. So cryo freeze is your, 
most out yeah. there generation. Which I think uh, is very cool. Like, yeah. I think it's actually producing results that somehow that exposure to the extreme produces uh, something good. Mm. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to. Okay. And more of a personal question. What is your practice uh, for generating energy in life force? What I do is I'm really consistent with my morning practice. Like, so I always get up and I give myself sometimes up to three hours where I'm praying, meditating, practicing yoga, where there's a, you know, there's a whole combination of more physical and less physical things to kind of integrate body and mind. And, and honestly, like now I'm 47 and I can really, I guess I'm starting to grow up a little bit, which is just to say I can really appreciate how changing your heart can really, um, it shifts your energy so profoundly, you know, so I can be in a mood and I'm finally getting, I'm taking myself a little less seriously where I can just be like, I can stay in this mood for as long as I want, or I can make a little shift right now. And then boom, everything's different in the way that I feel. So that's in it, in it kind of at some level is like, yeah, so all the physical exercise does a certain level of fitness, but then the mental emotional exercise is as important, if not more, I think, especially once you reach, um, a certain age mm. because you don't, you know, it's like, uh, you're, you're not going to continue to get more and more out of the body unless you can really work subtly psychologically. It's more, it's because you're, you, everybody I think becomes more subtle if you're awake, if you're, if you're growing older in a way, like you're gaining in knowledge and wisdom mm. and then the heart becomes the heart in Ayurvedic medicine is actually the center of the pranic field and so that's that's another indication that's like little shifts there have a, a downline effect on everything else all right well before i let you go i have a couple of quick questions for you so if you had to pick one snack that was the best snack for someone to have a massage therapist to have in between clients what would it be fruit and nuts fruit and nuts yeah any particular brand any particular fruit you know, um, I love dried cherries. Dried cherries are great. Things like dried cranberries, um, tangerine, citrus in general is really great for peripheral circulation. So they, they've shown in studies that cranberries and citrus will make your brain work better. Like you'll, you'll be more alert, but it also, you know, it's, it's really refreshing the kind of sour sweet. So I like sour sweet flavors because that combo is so nice. Mm. And then, um, you know, I find almonds to be really easy to digest. I find, um, you know, uh, pumpkin seeds. I, I'm a big fan of people taking having flax seeds regularly too, because you get such, it's such an incredible nutritional value from something that's a seed. So it, it burns like a food that will give you good sustained energy, but it has so many benefits to keep inflammation down and to, you know, to, to generally be for massage therapists. I think minor inflammation is a very important thing to be able to work with and, and fruit and nuts does a great job of staunching that. Cool. And what's your favorite drink of all time? I like that, like, pond scum, you know, like spirulina, chlorella, you know, seaweed. I have this thing called Superfood <laughs> by Dr. Schultz, you yeah. know? And he, like, he puts everything there. It's got, like, a little beetroot. It has, like, orange and lime peel. And then it has some seaweed and all the pond scums. And then, like, the grass juices, you know, <laughs> barley grass and wheatgrass and alfalfa grass juice. And then you add a little bit of lemonade to that. And, <laughs> and, and I love it. There it is. The, <laughs> the lemonade. So it's like the green machine, you know, like Oddwalla has yeah. one that's called, like, the green machine. And yeah. that... That's their variation on it. I, I like that taste. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's my favorite. Cool. And if you could read the pulse of any 
human being in history, who would it be and why? I would probably want to read Gandhi's Pulse. Mm. You know, I'm sort of an India file, and, and so I have... I just remember, like, you know, it was like Martin Luther King and Gandhi were, like, two of the people where I just went, wow. You know, this is, you know, like, this is a person that lived in my lifetime that I think was really happening. And so then it would be, you know, and I have actually gotten to take this one monk's pulse, this Lama. My wife is a Tibetan Buddhist translator, so we have Lamas come through and stay with us sometimes. I took this guy's pulse. He was, like, 93. And, and you know, it very like well-integrated, you know, llama, like just an incredible being. His pulses were way better than mine, like so much stronger, so much more balanced. And it was just like, wow, like I, <laughs> I'm wasting all this energy and this guy's just so dialed in. So, so that's why I would want to, I would want to take his pulse as a yeah. kind of a glimpse into that depth mm-hmm. of love. That mm-hmm. would be the way I would put it, mm-hmm. you know, just to see what's it feel like when somebody's like working from that basis. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me, Scott. Uh, yeah. If if people hear this want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, uh, how can they best do so? The best thing would be to go to Dr. Blossom. So it's spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-L-O-S-S-O-M.com. And that's a, it's an Ayurvedic sort of warehouse of information, too, so they can go there and they can actually get a lot of education without ever contacting me. And I made it that way on purpose. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, All right. It's a pleasure. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.howsthepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well. Be well.